Well, I had a really good week. I, Jason and I were able to travel to Keller, Texas. We left sun, last Sunday after church, and we went down to join a church down there called Milestone. And they've had some indirect influence on us over the years, but uh, we were able to go there for a conference that they host called Roundtable. And we were able to um, hear from John Maxwell, the famous leadership author and guru, and it was fantastic. I was so, I've heard John speak before in other leadership contexts, but this was very much a church-oriented kind of a conference, and the things he had to share, I was uh, just very impacted by. Uh, There's a gentleman named uh, Judd Wilhite. Some of you may know who he is, a pastor out of Las Vegas. He was there as well, was able to, we had a roundtable event where we could ask questions and interact and things like that. It was just fantastic. And uh, so, Jason and I had a great week, excited about some of the things we saw and learned. It's just great to go and, and watch and learn from people that uh, are, are really accomplishing a lot with great leadership and, and great biblical values and teaching, and was just very encouraged by that. So, um, yeah, had a great week, and I want to continue this week talking about wisdom. Um, we've been talking about Solomon and Solomon asking God for wisdom, and, I, you know, this is the third week in a row that I will be talking about the idea that Solomon could have asked for anything, and he asked for wisdom, and God blessed him with it. And then we have record of that wisdom through books of the Bible like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. That wisdom that was so profound and yet so easy to take in and think about is right there available for you and I today in the scripture. And we have a mission to live. Just like Solomon. Solomon was called to something. He was designed for something. God knew him before he was born. He knew what was going to happen. Solomon was designed for a mission. And you are designed for a mission. Right in the chair you're sitting in right now, God has mission for you in life. There is purpose. It's so important for us to continue to remind ourselves that while a world around us would insinuate that we're just sort of random biology that happened. God has actually intentionally designed us. That God has purpose for our lives. And it's so easy to lose track of that as we journey along through the difficulty. But I want you to, as we're reading about this wisdom and thinking about applying it to our lives, this is, this is wisdom for the mission. It's wisdom for your mission. It's wisdom for my mission. It's wisdom for our mission together. Did you know we're on mission together? We are on a mission together, making disciples, reaching a community, drawing people, helping people get, come closer to Christ and understand more about who he is. And Solomon was a wise person. So we've been looking at, if you haven't been with us, we've been looking at uh, some of the themes in the book of Proverbs. But I want to begin today by telling you a story, another story about Solomon. And it's interesting and as my kids were growing up, uh, every once in a while, if, if we talked about reading a Bible story, they wanted to hear this one because it's so interesting. It's about Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 28. I want to begin with a story. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. And on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
And she rose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. What a sad state of affairs. What a sad story. But hopefully you understand what's going on here. One woman lost her child and swapped babies in the night. And they take their case before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is a living one. And then the king said, bring me a sword. Can you imagine what went on in that courtroom that day? All the breath went out of the room. Uh, what is the king going to do? Because the king had absolute power and he judged these situations and made decisions. Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because he perceived, they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. What a powerful story of a very wise person. Solomon was indeed wise and we've looked at his wisdom. We've talked about um, how important it is to have wisdom for our lives and the mission that we are on in life. We're instructed in the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and other books of wisdom and, and, and how we should live. We talked about avoiding laziness, not being a sluggard, but considering the ant. We talked about living with integrity, undecayable character, telling the truth and being honest, honest weights and scales. We talked about being quick to humble ourselves. And we also talked about guarding our tongues. And I want to pick up where I left off last week because the scripture is full of instruction for you and I about the power of our words and the things that we say to people. And last week I said, uh, it's interesting that God had designed things that way, but if you think about it a little further, there's a reason why our words are very powerful and why that's God's design. Because we are in God's image and he made our words powerful. We know that in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, that God spoke creation into being. Let's take a look at that first verse. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. It doesn't say that God went into his laboratory and invented light. It doesn't say that he gathered some resources and put a recipe together and then light was created. How was light created? He spoke it. His word. God has something on his heart. When, when it turns into a word, it comes from his mouth, so to speak. It becomes real. He simply speaks it, 
and it exists. And in some ways, you and I, in his image, our words are very, very powerful. As long as I keep something hidden in my heart and not bring it to the surface, it isn't very real. That's why we are encouraged to say things like, I love you. I'm letting you know that that's really in me, and I'm bringing it into reality. If I kept my love hidden, would it even be real? It might be very real to me, but it's not real to the world around me because I haven't let it come out of me. I haven't spoke it into existence. Just like God spoke and creation came into being, he has given us also power with our words, and it's a very important power. Our next passage in Proverbs says this, Death and life... Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Life and death are in the words that you and I say. It's very important what comes out of our mouths, and wisdom tells us to restrain our mouths, to be cautious about what we say. Everything from how we encourage someone, to how we accuse someone, to what we teach All these kinds of things are very, very powerful and important. We looked at this passage last week, but I want to remind you of it because I think it is so incredibly important about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So something that is in the dark and unknown to others, it may not exist in a way, But out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth will speak. It will reveal things about us, good and bad. And we all know both sides of that equation, don't we? Those moments where something in our heart is is evil or angry or frustrated or burdened or accusatory. And it leaks out our mouths sometimes, doesn't it? But we also know the other when when we've really encouraged ourselves about somebody else and it turns into encouragement from our mouths. It's so important because the mouth tells us something about the heart, and we know that God judges the heart. God doesn't just look at outside things and make decisions like a human being would. He can look right through into our motivations and our intentions, the condition of our soul, to see if it is truly good. And that's a powerful thing. And our mouths may remind us from time to time what's actually going on in our hearts. And it's very important for us to reflect on that. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good store of treasure. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil store of treasure. But I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Very sobering language from Jesus himself. What does it mean that we'd be acquitted or condemned? You know, Paul taught us that we are to confess our belief in Christ. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. You see, when something is just in the dark and unknown, it's not real. We talk about faith. Faith has to have works attached to it. We only know what faith is when we see it in action. If it's just hidden in the dark, it's not complete. The scripture calls that dead faith. Your, faith. your faith is made evident by actions, and our mouths are part of that. When, when, when we confess Jesus as Lord, that's our acquittal. 
We have spoken it. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and God raised him from the dead. I'm confessing what's in my heart and I will be acquitted accordingly. With my mouth, I will beg for mercy from God. I will ask for forgiveness from somebody that we've wronged. Our mouths are very powerful in what we say and do. Perhaps you've been on the receiving end of someone cursing you, criticizing you, telling you how worthless, hopeless, pointless you are as a human being, how much that wounds and hurts us. And if it happens to us when we're children, how much that that messes with our steps in life. And how we navigate life when we've been told something that we've believed. Even if we haven't believed it, the wounds are powerful. Those are wounds that were dealt from the lips of another. But the scripture teaches us to guard the tongue. To watch what we say. Can't talk about guarding your tongue without reading James. Such a famous passage in James chapter 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can guide the whole animal. Consider ships as well. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot is inclined. In the same way, in the same way, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it boasts of great things. Consider how small a spark sets a great forest ablaze. The tongue also is a fire, a world of wickedness among the parts of the body. It pollutes the whole person, sets the course of his life on fire, and it itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree grow olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Stern teaching from James. Powerful, thoughtful. We ought to look at it and examine ourselves. Is both blessing and cursing coming from my lips? Am I praising God on Sunday and cursing men the rest of the week? Men who are made in the likeness of God. We are called to a higher standard than a worldly standard with the words that we speak and the way we view our fellow mankind. Let's be slow to speak. So we see that our tongue, it reveals our heart. It steers our ship. It makes great boasts. It mocks and scoffs. It insults. It bears false witness, but it also apologizes. I mean, I'd rather have an insincere apology than no apology at all. At least an effort on somebody's behalf, right? But if it goes in silence, it never heals. You know, when things are in the dark, they don't heal. They're to be brought out into the light. And how are they brought out? With your words, when you speak it. 
I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. Healing then comes with our words. It encourages us. You can use your words to motivate, encourage, teach, direct, correct, to equip. How do we do that? We do it with our words. We have, each one of you has a gift. In some way, shape, or form, every one of you has a part to play. And if we sit in the dark and silence we, and don't activate ourselves, and it just begins by acknowledging who am I in the kingdom? What am I called to? I need to talk to somebody about that. I need to engage with my community and become who God's called me to be. Confession is such, an empowerful, such a powerful use of our words. That's why we're, t- we're told to confess our sin one to another. Why do I need to confess it? God sees it. He already knows it's there. In my mind, I've asked him for forgiveness. And yet God also challenges us to confess our sin one to another. Because we bring it out into the light. Isn't it so painful and difficult when something just sits in the dark for days and weeks and months on end? Years even. Just hidden. But when someone says something and opens the door with their words... Good things can happen. Healing can come. And with that accountability, why do we confess our sin? Why do we speak it? It happened, but I need to say something about it. I need to bring healing to my situation. I need to expose it. It will be known when I do that. So I can find healing and also accountability for my future. Why? By, being, by confessing. It prays. Your, your tongue prays. Out of your mouth come your requests to God. Your praises to God. Your worship to God. It's so important, your words. How many times in the Bible, I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't find any, I didn't look very hard, but how many times do we see a demon being cast out without words? You ever thought about that? How about the gift of tongues? Praying in tongues, speaking in tongues. Why is that important? Why is it important that it came out in some sort of word form? Because God has put an emphasis and a value on words because ultimately his word is powerful in blessing and in judging and in creating. And we are a reflection of that in a little way. So important. So important. It blesses. Our faith is made evident by our actions and our words are so much of our action. Major part of our action is our words. Yeah, that's good stuff, huh? Good wisdom. Back that drug up. That's good. I want to shift from talking about tongues to some other passages of wisdom in the scripture. And, and this, I, I just, like I've shared with you before, I've, I've always just loved the Proverbs. I love the simplicity of the wisdom, but I've loved pondering them. And some of them are a little bit challenging. Some of them I'm not even sure I understand. I want to just unpack a few of them that I enjoy with you today. And see what we can get out of it. If you've been around here any length of time, you know that this verse is one of my favorites of all time. And I've always enjoyed it. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. And it says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. 
yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, it's almost poetic. You kind of have to think about what is Solomon saying here in his teaching. And the thing that I always hone in on here, I mean, of course, it's wonderful that things become beautiful in their time, that God is working out a great purpose in creation and in our lives. And even in the middle of the messiness of our lives, we still know that he will make things beautiful in their time, even the ugly things. But more so this next line, he has put eternity into man's heart. When I think of a world that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know the power of his forgiveness and grace, and yet they struggle and wrestle. So many people in the world, we're we're always looking for, there's very few people in the world that don't believe in a God at all. Very few. Why? Because eternity is in our hearts. God put something inside of us that we can't fathom or understand, but we know it. We don't know how it will all end. We don't understand everything God has done, but there's something inside of us that goes, I was not random biology in the universe. There's something eternal. There's something forever. There's something more. And there's a wisdom in that. So when I'm interacting with people in the community that don't know Jesus or asking themselves tough questions, in the back of my mind, often what is going on is there's eternity in this person's heart. They know, they sense something more and greater. Why? Because God put that in them. They are made in his image. We don't curse man who is made in God's likeness. Here's another one. I mentioned this. Uh, instead of Ecclesiastes 3.11, it's Ecclesiastes 11.3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Now, I, I just, it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, duh. Okay, what, what is he saying? But, but if you really take the time and reflect and ponder on, uh, on the value of understanding this, I think, you know, I could be wrong about some of my analysis of these, but when I think about this passage, I'm thinking about, first of all, that, that what is, is. If a cloud is full of rain and water, it will rain. That's God's design. God has designed and done something that works. It just is. The same with a tree where it falls. You know, you, you can wish that something didn't happen all you want, but it happened. The tree fell where it fell, and that is what it is. You're not going to go put the tree back up and push it over another direction. We call that miracle. It's not very often that God will just completely change the circumstances. If, you, if you've been uh, disobedient and breaking the law and causing trouble and all kinds of stuff going on, and you're reaping the consequences of those things, here's your wisdom. You reap what you sow. It is what it is. This is the natural consequence to poor behavior or good behavior. Ecclesiastes 9.11 is along the same lines. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. So we know and we believe that if you live wisely and you obey God, you are setting yourself up for a straight level path for good sailing and a confident 
direction in life. But does that mean that bad things won't happen? No, absolutely not. Both are true. Sometimes things happen, and they just did, and we don't know why, and we may never know why. Time and chance happen to us all. You can be the smartest person in the world. That doesn't automatically mean you're going to be rich. You might be the fastest person in the race, but that doesn't guarantee you'll win. Sure, it gives you good odds. It helps you a lot. That's why we want to live wisely. We want to live right before God so that we do everything in our control to have a smooth path. But at the same time, we know that in God's sovereignty and his wisdom and his understanding that's beyond us, time and chance happen to us all. Shift gears here to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and who's ever led astray by it is not wise. You know, we don't teach that alcohol in and of itself is sin, but boy, it can be, can't it? Wine is a mocker. Some of your translations will say beer, and beer a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. I don't think I need to explain to you what it means to be led astray by alcohol. Or we could apply this to probably anything. But there's some strong warnings in Proverbs about the abuse of alcohol. It's foolishness. It's destructive. And I think we all know examples of the destructiveness that can happen when we allow ourselves to be led astray with addictions. Very important thing. There, there's, I think it's, I think it's healthy. I think we have a healthy understanding as a church. I don't think you um, want to be legalistic about it, but the pendulum swings the other way, and people just get drunk and feel like it's fine, that it's not sin. It's okay to drink as much as you want whenever you want. I don't think the scripture teaches that that's right. I think the scripture teaches that's foolish. And it's an important warning for all of us. Do not, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. How many of you can tell me from firsthand experience that drunkenness leads to debauchery? None of you are raising your hand. I'll go first. Some of my most embarrassing stories, probably from my teen years, involve debauchery. Why? It leads us in it, and it's not wise. Let's not live that way. Let's not be getting drunk. That's foolish. (coughs) Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe them in rags. We know this to be true. Now, does that mean you can't uh, have a, a beer and a steak? I don't think so. This is talking about gluttony and abuse. uh, Trying to satisfy our insatiable appetites for things. And it's true. If we're given to gluttony or we abuse alcohol or any other kind of substance, now marijuana is legal. You have the opportunity to indulge and waste your money and maybe make some poor decisions. In whatever you do, be wise. Be wise. Proverbs 23, verse 6. I've, I've, this, been, this one stuck with me since I was a kid. Do not eat the bread of a stingy man, and do not crave his delicacies, for he is keeping track inwardly, counting the cost. 
You understand what this means? Someone is like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, in a very simplistic way, hey, yeah, I'll buy you dinner, sure, I, I got money. But inside, they're irritated that they're having to spend their money on you because they're stingy. And they're counting the cost. And they don't really want to. Isn't it interesting that in some cases, someone could give you a lot of money and still not be generous? Because it really isn't about the quantity, is it? It's about the heart. So sometimes, you know, we're, we're generous in terms of quantity. In the United States, we give away by far more money than any other nation in the world. Not just as a government, but as a people. But at the same time, we have lots of money too. So if I have $10 million and I give you 1000 is that generous? Maybe, maybe not. If I'm harboring stinginess in my heart, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Such an important thing in the way we relate to one another. I think you could even think beyond stinginess a little bit, but when you're relating with someone and doing things together and walking through life together, is their heart really with you? In what you're doing together. His heart is not with you. You will vomit up what little you have eaten. And waste your pleasant words. Some translations say. Wasted your compliments. Do not eat the bread. Of a stingy man. Because inside. He's tracking the cost. And his heart. Is not with you. So I think there is a lesson here. Where you know. I, maybe I should. Not, not eat the bread of the stingy man. But maybe there's the other side of the equation where maybe I should not be the stingy man. Do I need to evaluate whether or not my heart is really generous in my generosity? Or am I giving begrudgingly or with a chip on my shoulder? We're called to be generous at a heart level. All right, I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. You ready? It's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now, before we, um, you know, get, get uh, tense with the ladies, let's talk that this, this is a relational proverb. This goes both ways. Living with a quarrelsome person is not fun. Do you have quarrelsome friends, quarrelsome neighbor, Quarrelsome family members, people that like to quarrel. What's a quarrel? It's like an argue, an ongoing controversy. A constant dripping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Restraining her is like holding back the wind or grasping oil with one's right hand. Again, that contentiousness. And so I can look at both sides of this proverb and take a lesson. Don't be the contentious spouse or friend or coworker or boss. Don't be the contentious, annoying, constant dripping, unteachable, ungraspable person. And likewise, be wise who I relate to. Be wise young people who you marry, who you join your life to for the rest of your life. There's wisdom in looking at these qualities in people's lives. And just so that we don't get accused of being sexist here, we're going to go Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, we have to make a rule. 
you do not get to go home today and use any of these scriptures on your family. Therefore, your personal reflection about yourself. And maybe in a few weeks, you can talk about it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And what do we know, dads? Boy, we can hold the line pretty hard sometimes, can't we? And we can push sometimes, and sometimes we don't have quite the compassion we need. But this applies to moms and dads alike, for sure. But he's instructing fathers here. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Can I get a? Yeah. (laughs) Do not be harsh with them. Good relational principles. Don't be harsh. The scripture says that if you're harsh with your wife, God won't hear your prayers. Whoa. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. This one is probably one of the most difficult ones, the most difficult one I have for you today. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. I don't know about you, but if you throw bread in the water, it ain't going to last long. So that must not be what it's about. What does it mean? You know, there's a couple of theories about what this actually means. And some people believe that, you know, because of the context uh, of the passages, that it's about um, uh, financially sowing in diversity. Cast your, bre- cast your resources into a number of different things, and you will be receiving returns over time from those many different things. That diversity of investment. But more people, and I think I'm more inclined to believe this, particularly because of the verse after, is is the idea that, you know, because the next verse says, uh, give portions to seven and eight, for you don't know what trouble will happen or come upon you. I think it has to do with generosity. The idea that, that we sow, even though we feel like maybe we're just throwing a loaf of bread in the water, we sow generously into things, and in time, we will reap. So a lot of people believe it has to do with the generosity of sowing. I'll wrap up with these three passages on justice. Proverbs 18, verse 5. It is not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. Acquitting the guilty and condemning the righteous, both are detestable to the Lord. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. What does that mean? Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. In other words, if we're not swift to bring justice to situations, if it's prolonged on and on, people get the idea that there really will not be a punishment, and so they're more likely to do evil. To hatch evil schemes. Because I can get away with it. God cares about justice. And he executes justice. And he calls us. To be wise. In the way we manage that. Would you stand please. You. My friends. Are on a mission. You have a mission. You are like James Bond in the spirit world. You have gifts. You have calling. And God has called you to be wise with how you live. And if, if, if you can agree with me today, 
If you, in these messages, and you can say in your heart, I want more wisdom. Then while I pray right now, I want you in your own words to ask God for wisdom. Okay? As we pray. So seriously, if your heart is prompted to receive more of the Lord's wisdom and direction for your life, then would you pray with me? God, I come before you this morning and I'm grateful that I can. (laughs) That you made a way by the precious blood of Jesus that we can receive from you. And Father, you give wisdom to those that ask. So right now, Lord, we ask for more wisdom. Just ask him. Just speak it. We talked about the power of your word. Speak it. Lord, give me more wisdom. If you, if you mean it, say it. Lord, give me more wisdom. Yeah, that's right. Lord, give us wisdom. Lead us and guide us. Lord, we need your way. It's so much better than our way. It's higher than our way. It's more powerful than our way. It's more life-giving than our way. So God, I pray that you would raise us up to be a wise people, a wise church, wise in our community and with our friends, wise in our marriages and the way we raise our families and our relationships with our coworkers and everyone. God, help us to be wise and fruitful. God, that in time we will reap fruit in your kingdom from living according to your wisdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.